Hello everyone, this is Jerome. I serve as a community pastor here at First Christian Church. Welcome to our brand new podcast. I'm so glad that we get to serve you today through this message. God bless you. Let's get into the word. Yes, indeed. Good morning. This is a shameless plug. As a student pastor, if you don't know these students and these leaders uh, who are up here, you should because they're awesome and they crushed it this morning. Super proud of them. Um, It's Family Sunday today. Super glad that you guys are along with us this morning. Uh, Who in here likes weddings? Some? Most? Most people like weddings. That's good. I also enjoy weddings. My love for weddings, I think, began uh, when I was very small. Um, I had the opportunity to be in my aunt and uncle's wedding when I was five years old. I was going to be the co-ring bearer with my brother. And I, I remember, that's me right there, um, as I know, as a five-year-old in, in his little tux, looks really scared to drop the ring or something, I don't know. <laughs> um, the thing that I remember most vividly about this, I don't remember much about this, but th- there's one thing that sticks out to me. I remember that the, the wedding planner so desperately wanted me to walk down the aisle with the flower girl, and she wanted me to hold the flower girl's hand. And I was like, no way. I am not doing that. And I, I remember at one point, and I look back on this in my adult life, and I'm like, what were you doing? But the wedding planner took us aside, me and this, this poor flower girl, and she was like, hey, Tyler, what if I spray this flower girl's hand with disinfectant? Would you walk down the aisle with her? And not only did she say it, but she actually did it, like for me right there. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Like, but looking back on it, I'm like, why did you have to actually do it? Like, what? <laughs> I don't understand that. But I remember, I remember thinking in, in that moment, I'm not going to do this. Not because I don't really want to hold her hand, but I'm not going to do this because everybody so much wants me to do this, right? Like a very, a very firstborn thing to say, right? I'm not going to do this because everybody wants me to do it, and so I'm not going to do this. And I think as I reflect on this in my life, and I reflect on this in, in the context of what we're talking about this morning, which is obedience, where we're talking about like Jesus and continuing on what it means to obey like Jesus obeyed. Obedience to us, willful and joyful obedience, is a learned choice. It's a learned choice, and it takes time to cultivate. It takes time to cultivate, and to reflect that spiritually, to reflect that with Jesus, is a process and a journey that takes a lifetime. And Jesus himself had to learn obedience. Jesus himself had to learn obedience, and, we, and he models this in the early portion of his life. And we're going to look at a story this morning from the, the boyhood of Jesus. And he models this, uh, this obedience and this growth in obedience. And there's three things that I want us to grasp out of this this morning as we dive into this scripture. So our story comes out of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, 41 through 52. We're going to go through 11 verses this morning. We're going to break it up into three different sections, three different movements of what obedience looks like. And as you're getting there, just a little bit of context for this text. This is uh, the, the, the baby Jesus has been born, right? The, the Christmas story. Jesus has been born. He is presented at the temple. 
And now in this story, we cut ahead 12 years. Jesus and and his parents go to the temple for the Passover uh, festival, and Jesus is getting prepared to begin his formative religious years. In the Jewish custom, these religious years would start at the age of 13. Jesus here, as we can gather from the scripture, is 12. So he's starting to kind of think about and consider these things deeper of his father. And we see these wrestlings in him as we read through this story. So like I said, three different sections that we're going to look at this morning. We'll start here in verse 41, which says this. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the, Passover, for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, his parents were returning home. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day. When they began looking for him among, then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So let's stop there for a moment. And as we walk through this process of obedience this morning, I want to do so in the context of a fruit tree in the context of a fruit tree, and what it looks like for us, like a fruit tree to grow, to produce fruit, what it looks like for us to grow that same obedience within us. So pick your favorite fruit tree and come along with me on this journey as we walk this morning. So what is the first thing that we need to do with this fruit tree? The first thing is that we need to plant a seed. We need to plant a seed. So what is the seed of obedience? And the seed is our first point this morning, which is this. That obedience is marked by a conscious choice to grow. Obedience is marked with a conscious choice to grow. So we see this in the first six verses here of this story. Jesus goes with his parents to this, fest, to this Passover festival. This is the Super Bowl of festivals, right? And so he's going, and there's so many people, there's so many religious leaders, there's so much going on here at this festival. And then the festival ends and Mary and Joseph, they take off and they head out and they travel without Jesus for an entire day. Like Mary and Joseph are not winning parent of the year awards here. That's crazy. An entire day they walk without Jesus. So they discover that Jesus is not with him and they're frantically looking for him. And they finally, they find him. And I, and I love, I love where they find him. They find him with these teachers, with these religious leaders, and he is sitting at their feet. He is learning. He is growing. He is asking questions. And I love this because Jesus chooses to do these things. Mary and Joseph didn't have to twist his arm. They didn't even know that he wasn't with them. right? Jesus chooses to do these things. And Jesus shows this thirst to know his heavenly father early on. When I was an intern uh, at a church in California, I had the opportunity to lead a staff devotion for us, which we did um, before our our staff meetings every uh, Tuesday. 
And so my, my first uh, opportunity came up, and I was scared to death. Because in that room and, and among our pastors, we probably had over 100 years of ministry experience. There was so many people who had been pastors for so long, who had, who, who had taught so much, who had learned so much, who had grown so much. And I'm sitting here a couple of months into my, my ministry career, and I'm thinking to myself, what can I possibly have to offer to these people? What can I possibly teach them that they don't already know? I put together the devotion. I, I, I did it. I, I think it went okay. <laughs> I, I did my best with it. And what stuck out to me the most after I was finished was that these, these staff members who, who were with us, they came up to me, and it wasn't as much the, like, hey, pats on the back, like, great job. It was the questions that they asked me. What brought you to this conclusion? How did you land on this scripture? What was the process of you putting this together? There was a posture of learning and of growth, even among these pastors who had been in ministry for 20 years, asking this 22-year-old his process. There was this posture of learning and of growth, and the lesson that I took from that was to never stop learning. And never, ever give an excuse to not learn. But that's easier said than done, right? Especially in our spiritual lives. Because if we're being honest, how often in our life with God do we practice stillness in prayer? Do we not say anything, but simply sit with Jesus and listen? How often do we ask God to reveal blind spots in us? God, where are the places that I'm missing it? Not them, me. Where are the places that I am missing it? Are we actively seeking spiritual guidance, Christian mentors, connection groups, counselors who have more life experience than us? Ask questions, sit at their feet, glean wisdom. Do we honestly do these things? We live in a day and age today where information is readily available and what that has produced is that we are often convinced that we have all of the answers. I know that I am. We, we consider ourselves to be experts on everything, that we have everything figured out. But this is a stark difference from the posture of, of the boy Jesus here in this story who sits at the feet of others, who asks questions, who listens, who learns, who has a desire and a thirst to know more about his heavenly Father. It's this posture of humility and desire to know God that sticks out to us, and he does so freely. He does so freely. And when we choose to listen, when we choose to learn, when we choose to ask questions, we grow closer to the heart of Jesus, and that seed of true obedience is planted in our hearts. So we're choosing to grow. The seed is planted, but now how do we actually grow? The seed is planted, but now how do we actually grow? Where does this fruit tree of obedience grow? And we pick back up in our story, and I think that we see what this looks like. So the next two verses, verses 48 through 50. So Jesus is sitting at the feet of these religious leaders, and Mary comes up to him, and they have this interaction. Verse 48 says this, When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? 
your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So let's talk about this here in the lens of our second point this morning of how to grow in our obedience, which is this, that our obedience to God should become second nature. Our obedience to God should become second nature. So Mary is freaking out, right? And understandably so. She doesn't know where her, father, or where her son is. And I think it's interesting, she tries to pin this on Jesus. Right? They're the ones who took off without Jesus, but she's the one who tries to pin it on Jesus. And Jesus responds, and I love how Jesus responds here. He says, you should have known where I was. You should have known where I was. I had to be in my father's house. And in other words, what Jesus is saying here is there should be no question in your mind where my heart is. Jesus' devotion and obedience to his Father should have been so apparent to them that they should have just known where he was. He had to have been in his Father's house. He had to have been in the temple. But Mary and Joseph are confused by this statement, and I imagine that their response to Jesus when they look at him is like, you're 12. Like, you really want to be doing this right now, what you're doing. Like, you really want to. They don't understand. This is strange to Mary and Joseph. But I think what we can take from this and how we apply this to our modern day lives is this, that our allegiance to and need for God should be unique. And it should be unique even to the point where it is strange to the world, where the rest of the world does not understand. Now, well, I want to clarify that, but what I don't mean by that, what I don't mean by strange, is that we're going to the grocery stores and we're, and we're hitting people over the head with the Bible, right? Or that we're, that we're standing on the side of the road holding up, like, scripture references, right? That's not what I mean by strange. Those things are strange to the world, but they're not strange in a constructive way. But what I do mean, and let me preface this by saying this, Understand that when I say these things, this is just as much about me working through things as it is any of us. We are all broken people moving towards Jesus together. That is the, the essence of the gospel. What I do mean is this, that we say Christ is a priority, but is that actually reflected in the time that we set aside for him? We say that we are sinners saved by grace, but are we genuinely doing the internal work to recognize the blind spots within ourselves? Are we actually doing the internal work to recognize the places where we are sinners? And then lamenting and repenting of those things. We say that we care about the afflicted and the oppressed, but are we listening to and empathizing with those affected by racial inequality? by physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, and evaluating systems that allow for those things? Are we opening our arms to the foreigner and to those who are running from tyranny? We have to look no farther than what's going on in Afghanistan right now to answer that question. We say that we want to end abortion, but are we finding and supporting organizations which seek both to protect life 
within the womb and support women who have had or are considering abortion with resources, emotional and financial support, love, kindness, empathy, and understanding. These actions should carry so much compassion, so much love, that they stand out to the world. It's like how dogs' actions stand out to us as people, right? It's weird to us that they spin around 5,000 times before laying down. But in the wild, a dog will do that to mat grass or dirt to make a more comfortable bed to sleep on. It's weird that they bury toys, but in the wild, they will bury things that are of high value to make sure that they don't get stolen. It's weird to us that they roll around in gross things, but in the wild, they do that to hide their scent so they can sneak up on prey. In our context, as people, those things are weird, and they're unnecessary to do. But to dogs, it's a result of their attachment to their nature. Our actions, likewise, should come from an attachment to our Father. Not who we think the Father should be, and we have to be careful about that, but who Jesus actually says that he is in these words in this book. Now, I'm not saying don't think, just do, right? I'm not saying just act purely on instinct. That's not what I'm saying, and don't hear me say that. There is a logical and cerebral part to our faith as well. But our actions should come second nature to a heart that is attached to Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 6:21 that where your heart is there or excuse me where your treasure is there your heart will be also. So let me ask us this morning where is our treasure? Can I tell or excuse me I can tell you where Jesus treasure is. Jesus treasure is with and contending for people. That's where Jesus treasure is. Can the world see that we follow Jesus by how we contend for people? Is our heart instinctually in line with Jesus? I have to check myself on that all the time. 50 times a day, I have to ask myself that question. Oftentimes, the the answer is no. The world should know us more for what and who we are for rather than what we are against. As Christians, I'm going to say that again. The world should know more about who and what we are for rather than what we are against. In these things do we find our Father's house, and we as his father, excuse me, we as his followers belong there. There should be no question about it. This is how we grow in obedience. Our final point this morning is this. Spiritual obedience feeds the grounded and righteous life. So we have this fruit tree. We've planted the seed. We are growing in it, and now it's time to bud fruit. And this is what our fruit looks like, that spiritual obedience feeds the grounded and righteous life. Let's look at the last two verses here in this scripture So Mary and Joseph do not understand what Jesus is saying to them. 51, verse 51 says this. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient 
to them, was obedient to his parents. But his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. So we see out of this last section of Scripture here that Jesus' spiritual obedience to his Father opens up several other things for him in his life, specifically three other things for his life. The first is uh, healthy, earthly obedience. Hey, Jesus goes and he is obedient to his parents. He is obedient to the authorities who are over him on this earth. And there is a healthy nature to that, and that is biblical. You look at the writings of Paul, Paul talks about that. And being obedient to our parents. Jesus opens up healthy, earthly obedience. The second thing is Jesus opens up influence. He causes his own mother to reflect on the things which she has seen, which she has heard. She treasures these things up in her heart. This is the second time that we see this in just two chapters of Luke. Right after Jesus is born, Mary treasures these things in her heart. His own mother is caused to... to reflect on these things and grow deeper with him because of the influence that Jesus has. And lastly, there's personal growth. The, the, the last verse here says that Jesus grows in wisdom and in stature and in favor because of this connectedness that he has with the Father. He grows in all of these things, and there is a personal element to this for Jesus. And as we grow in obedience, we find ourselves more and more in the house of the Father. And the more that we are in the house of the Father, the more our fruit begins to bud. We find that our influence and our voice with others is enhanced. We find that we're able to have good conversations, and we're able to do them in a constructive way, in a loving way, in a caring way, especially with those who we disagree with, right? That's a big one in this day and age. We grow deeper in our relationship with our Father, and our heart is more and more aligned with Him. And most importantly, when we grow closer to the Father, when we are growing and producing fruit, our capacity for love is increased. Our capacity for love is increased. And John 14 15, Jesus tells his disciples that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And Jesus, of all the commandments that we find in the Bible, the two most important commandments that Jesus gives us is to love God and to love others. If we're doing those things, we're doing okay. Our ultimate expression of obedience, of obedience is our capacity to do those two things we're loving God, and we're loving others, that we are being obedient. And that is what our fruit looks like. And that is slowly cultivated over a lifetime of learning obedience. Planting seeds, growing in the house of our Father, budding the fruit of healthy influence, growth, love for God and for others. Friends, this is our holy love language to God. That's what that looks like. The big idea 
this morning is this. That Jesus calls us to a life of conscious obedience to him, which grows and grounds us personally and enriches our relationships and witness. And as we go this morning, I want to leave us with three questions for us to reflect on as we go. And the first one is this. Am I choosing obedience in my faith or doing so out of obligation? Do I feel like I have to do this with Jesus or am I actually choosing to obey the Father? Am I doing this out of a desire to grow closer to my Father or am I doing this out of a desire to check a box? Those two things are very different. Second is this. Is my relationship and obedience to Jesus genuinely a defining characteristic in my life? Do people see that I obey Jesus through the actions that I do, through the way that I love people, through the way that I contend for people, and the way that I love Jesus, and the way that I talk about him? Do people actually see that? And the final one is this. Are my relationships and people around me enriched through my obedience and connectedness to God. So as Jesus has influence with the people who are around him because of his obedience to Jesus, or to to the Father, are the people around us enriched through our connectedness to God? Am I influencing the people around me through my connectedness to Jesus? As we close this morning, we were going to do a time of uh, sharing, but I think with the, the topic of this morning, talking about obedience, talking about love, talking about care for others, I think that we would be re- remiss to not mention the events uh, that took place in Kabul this weekend, or this week rather, uh, in Afghanistan. The the, the bombings and the, the hundreds of people who were killed and injured in those terrorist attacks. And what I want to do this morning, because I think that naturally all of us, we have a lot of emotions, we have a lot of opinions, we have a lot of things that we're wrestling through with just the difficulty of what's going on there right now. And I empathize with that, and I feel that strongly. And I've often, I think, been caught in this moment of, God, what do I do? What does this look like? Because every day I read the news and it seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse. I came across yesterday a prayer uh, on Instagram from a pastor named Eugene Cho. And if you're not familiar with Eugene Cho, he is a pastor and president of uh, Bread for the World, which advocates for policy changes to end world hunger, essentially. He posted a prayer on his Instagram yesterday, which I felt was incredible, and, and checked off so many boxes of the things that are going on over there. And in the midst of this helpless nature, I think we all feel right now, I think the best thing that we can do is come together as a congregation and pray over the events and the things that are going on. And so what I want us to do 
is I want us to come before the throne of the Father in obedience and in a desire to contend for people. So if you will with me, still yourselves and let's pray this over together. Jesus, we mourn and pray for the 13 U.S. service members who lost their lives in the Kabul attacks. We grieve for their families and for all their loved ones who ache beyond words. We pray for our service members who are still there and the unfathomable emotions that they experience and the dangers that they face. We also mourn and pray for the 60 plus, now 150 plus, Afghan citizens that lost their lives because their lives matter too. We profess that they were not merely numbers and statistics, but each with their own dignity and story. We pray for the hundreds who are wounded and are fighting even now for their health and life. We pray for them. We pray for the very health workers that are tending to wounded bodies and traumatized minds. We pray for the ongoing evacuations of citizens, journalists, allies, humanitarian workers, and more in their passage to safety. We pray for those who are journeying as refugees to close and faraway nations, that they may be greeted with open arms and generous hearts as they transition to building a new home, even as they mourn the loss of home. We pray for the persecuted church and the various minority groups that are suffering under oppression. We implore a hedge of protection around and over them. And may we, even with all of our limitations, continue to pray and do what we can for the millions in Afghanistan that are living in fear and uncertainty, women, children, and men alike. Lord, we pray because we hurt and ache. We pray because we are desperate and confused. We pray because we believe that you still care for the nation. Lord, in your mercy.